Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Last week we discussed the seven factors of awakening. We begin with three factors that represent contemplation of phenomena itself, that is, satipatthana, then progresses into delight, serenity, and concentration. We gave particular attention to a particular part of the description of the exercise, that of understanding how the arisen mindfulness awakening factor comes to fulfillment by development. I suggested that this means that mindfulness becomes fully internalized, and I explained how internalization is a natural development in learning any skill. I used riding a bicycle as an example. Each of the factors of awakening involves a kind of skill and learning, but mindfulness is particularly consequential since mindfulness is what brings the wisdom of the Dharma into practice, and the wisdom of the Dharma is what brings us to knowledge and vision of things as they are. And that brings us to awakening. The question I want to deal with this week is, how the heck do the factors of awakening help us to awaken? It's clear from the suttas that they do, and the role of concentration is particularly highlighted in this regard. For instance, in the Diga Nikaya, we have that one should fulfill the wisdom group without having fulfilled the concentration group, that is not possible. In the Samyutta Nikaya, we have bhikkhus develop concentration. A monk with concentration understands in accordance with reality. In the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Tens, we have When right concentration does not exist, for one failing right concentration, the proximate cause is destroyed for knowledge and vision of things as they really are. In the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Sixes, we have the knowledges are for one with concentration, not for one without concentration. In the Dhammapada, we have There is no jhana for one with no wisdom, no wisdom for one without jhana. But one with both jhana and wisdom, he's on the verge of nirvana. Recall, the jhanas are stages of concentration. How does this work? This has caused a lot of confusion and debate among scholars because it would seem to entail bringing the conceptual philosophical or intellectual wisdom of the Dharma into the stillness and non-thinking of the meditation cushion. Many scholars, and in fact the Theravada tradition in general, 
insist it cannot be done. Dharma is one thing, concentration another, and never the twain shall meet. That suggests that wakening must happen by some other means, but, as I've just cited, the Buddha insists that concentration and wisdom are closely aligned. The Israeli scholar Aviatar Shulman best addresses this dilemma in his book Rethinking the Buddha, Early Buddhist Philosophy as Meditative Perception. In the terms I've already set up, this amounts to explaining how the, how the, the arisen, arisen mindfulness, mindfulness awakening factor, factor comes, comes to, to fulfillment, fulfillment by development. development. And this occurs when mindfulness has completely internalized the Dharma, that is, the recollection of the Dharma becomes automatic, something akin to muscle memory. It becomes spontaneous perception without thought, maybe neurally encoded. At this point, we see through the Buddha's eyes. Now, neither mindfulness nor investigation of phenomena is listed explicitly as a jhana factor as a quality that differentiates one stage of concentration from another until the fourth jhana, where purity of mindfulness is suddenly mentioned. Abhiku enters upon and abides in the fourth jhana, which has neither pain nor pleasure, and purity of mindfulness in association with equanimity. It sounds like here, in the deepest stage of concentration, is where mindfulness of the Dharma comes to fulfillment, where it is fully internalized. This does not mean that all of the Dharma is internalized there at once. We're talking here about a single meditative event, only that whatever topic of Dharma is currently under contemplation is purified. To take the bicycle analogy, we may have mastered keeping our balance without conscious effort, even to the extent that we can stand up on the seat of the moving bicycle with our hands in the air, but that doesn't mean we necessarily have mastered remembering when to turn. Likewise, our mindfulness of the body parts may be pure, but our mindfulness of the aggregate still deficient. Concentration and its precedents seem to fulfill three roles in the Buddhist teaching. The first is spiritual pleasure, the second is perceptual clarity, and the third is internalization. Spiritual pleasure is an incentive for all aspects of Buddhist practice. Perceptual clarity and internalization are particularly relevant to satipatthana practice. The sequence delight gives rise to tranquility, gives rise to concentration, and therefore spiritual pleasure is found in the factors of awakening, but in many other contexts as well. The delight here is not based in sensuality, and so is described as spiritual, or more literally non-carnal. It carries into the first two jhanas and a general sense of pleasure continues into the third. Moreover, the absence of feeling 
in the fourth jhana is described enigmatically as a kind of happiness. Once one experiences spiritual pleasure, one is eager to trade in one's more fraught and less satisfying sensual pleasures. Even Even though though a noble noble disciple disciple has seen clearly clearly as it actually is, with proper wisdom that sensual pleasures provide little gratification, much suffering and despair, and that the danger in them is still more, as long as he still does not attain to the delight and pleasure that are apart from sensual pleasures, apart from unwholesome states, or to something more peaceful than that, he may still be attracted to sensual pleasures. Perceptual clarity begins with having put away covetousness and grief for the world, grows with tranquility, and further in the jhanas. We see more clearly because the mind is progressively less cluttered with thoughts and emotions. Just as if there were a pool of water in a mountain glen, clear, limpid, and unsullied, where a man with good eyesight standing on the bank could see its shells, gravel, and pebbles, and also shoals of fish swimming about and resting. In the same way, with his mind thus concentrated, purified and bright, unblemished, free from defects, pliant, malleable, steady, and attained to imperturbability, the monk directs and inclines it to the knowledge of the ending of the mental formations, which are basic unskillful qualities. This clarity benefits Satipatthana practice, which is concerned with identifying specific factors in our experiences, like shells, gravel, and pebbles, and also shoals of fish, for contemplation. In internal analysis, in particular, it is important that we acknowledge external objects, that is, contemplate externally without spinning out into external narratives about such objects, which would only reinforce their presumed substantiality. Last week we noted that discursive thinking is cut off after the first jhana, leaving us with perception or noting. This, I suggest, is sufficient for internal analysis, but not for external narratives, and explains more generally why stillness of mind generally entails turning inward toward that which is more fundamental in experience. It also allows us to experience the constructedness of the world with a narrowing of cognitive faculties, basically the non-appearance of the higher aggregates. We note that we experience the world differently. It's not possible to fully construct external objects and their narratives, so they disappear. That brings us to internalization. Before internalization, performance of a skill, such as internal analysis, may require a lot of active thinking. The first jhana, where discursive thought is present, serves well as a workshop 
for developing skills single-mindedly prior to internalization. All cognitive faculties are active, yet distractions are controlled, and we enjoy a state of tranquility. As a dharmic topic is brought to mind there and verified in experience over and over, the dharma loses its arcaneness, then becomes familiar, then becomes an habituated way of viewing things, then is fully internalized in perception. The transition from the first to the second jhana is a kind of choke point beyond which only internalized knowledge may pass. As a result, the contemplation of unfamiliar or abstruse topics of dharma will be confined to the first jhana. The contemplation of more easily understandable topics, such as bodily posture or breath, can proceed more readily to higher jhanas. Those easily understandable topics are those often listed as supporting samatha meditation rather than vipassana meditation, serenity rather than insight, or jhana rather than mindfulness. But we see that the distinction is unfounded. It is all satipatthana practice playing out under different conditions. After internalization, any topic is processed spontaneously or effortlessly in higher jhanas. In satipatthana, Shulman calls this philosophy without active thinking. Passing through the choke point is primarily a development of mindfulness, a change in how we recollect the same skill. But actually, more additional, subtle content is likely to have been acquired as well, content that cannot be put into words. After internalization, it would seem formations and cognizance are displaced by unmediated perception, in Schulman's terms. Philosophy is weaved into the structure of perception or is turned into an active way of seeing. He also suggests that the phrase clearly comprehending sampajana in the Satipatthana toolbox describes when recollecting the Dharma and observing an experiential phenomenon completely merge. Seeing the experience is seeing the Dharma and vice versa. For instance, an object out there is seen immediately as a mental construct. The final stage of liberation, which we talked about near the beginning of these talks, as the process of acquiring right understanding states, he has grasped well a certain topic of concentration attended to it well, sustained it well, and penetrated it well with wisdom. It's probably the case that internalized skills may be even further refined that would mark the difference between a skilled athlete, for instance, and an even more skilled athlete. Perhaps the higher jhanas define more refined choke points. I'm not sure. There are a lot of questions that need further research and contemplation in this account.
internalization might in principle be able to proceed without concentration. After all, we internalize the skill of riding a bike or driving a car, presumably without even the first jhana. But concentration seems to be a requirement for complete internalization of the Dharma. The Buddha declared its necessity for awakening. Why would this be so? We have a number of overlapping reasons. First, bringing a contemplation into a higher jhana allows us to take advantage of greater perceptual clarity. Second, we might not have to bring the contemplation into a higher jhana. This might happen by itself as mindfulness comes to fulfillment. This would be analogous to the condition of flow or being in the zone that arises occasionally among athletes and other skilled professionals when they are fully engaged in their craft, where the sense of self suddenly disappears in making that critical goal effortlessly, and time seems to stop. In fact, I think flow is probably the same thing as jhana. Third, bringing a contemplation into a higher jhana might be a means to challenge ourselves to greater penetration. This would be analogous to a soldier learning to disassemble and assemble his rifle in two minutes, then to improve his skill by trying to do it blindfolded. I was alarmed when I learned that the military is now using mindfulness training to produce more effective soldiers. From the Buddhist perspective, that could not be right mindfulness, nor result in right concentration, though it might conceivably produce the premeditated results. This is how I imagine this. Okay, soldier, now I want to see you do it in the third jhana. Next week, we'll move on to the last but most demanding contemplation of the Satipatthana Sutta the contemplation of the Four Noble Truths.